Welcome to Heart of Worship Church Podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Tonight we're doing a study on biblical worship. Worship through scripture, we're going to look at the purpose, the power, and the presence. We're going to look at right and wrong ways listed in scripture. We're going to dissect this thing a little bit. We're going to go through different types of worship ministry. You can have very talented people and very good music, but no conviction, no stirring up of the enemy. There's no presence. There's nothing there. There's no anointing. And you can have us who's not very good, but we love the Lord or someone like us. And and we've used this example. You know, we know an old lady that, you know, praise the Lord when she worships. It sounds like somebody's torturing a cat, but she is anointed (laughs) and the spirit moves, you know. And so that's why you see that even in most, even before the preaching and the word comes in most of our worship services, people are already going to the altar. They're already being convicted. They're already being dealt with. And you're going to see as we go through the lesson why that, why that is. Um, and in the, the message that Wayne, that Will had sent out, she made a very interesting point. So I thought I would include it. You know, she, she said that, you know, we all seek titles. Everybody wants to be a preacher or a pastor or an evangelist or a prophet. She says, but as far as I know, there aren't going to be any need for any prophets or preachers or evangelists in heaven. But there's one thing that they do have in heaven, and that's worshipers. There's going to be a high demand for worshipers in heaven. And I thought that was such a great point, and it's true. The things that people are striving and attaining for here in this life is not what's going to hold the highest value in heaven. And a lot of the people that are in the pews thinking, well, I have no value, you actually have a great value because in heaven, the Bible says that we will worship before the throne of God day and night. All the saints and the elders and the angels, they worship God. And the Bible also says when Jesus went to the woman at the well, he said that God is seeking after people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And I always look at that and I always think when it says that God is seeking after, to me it implies that it's not something that he finds a lot of. It's, it's, it almost implies that he is longing and he is searching because it's not something he very often gets. You know, the Bible says that narrow is the gate and few are they that find it because there are few people that are truly worshipers, that worship God. People like to worship themselves. They like to look for their title. They like to look for their platform. They want to look for their purpose, but it's not for the sake of the love and the worship of God. It's so that they can have their placement and their glory. But God is looking for people that will worship him. People that will say, sir, yes, sir. People that will love him, that will do those things that need be done, but not out of a sense of climbing a ladder, out of a sense of, I love you. And I want to please you. God is looking for worshipers. We're not going to cover all of the scriptures on worship because a lot of it we already know, and I want to kind of touch on some some deeper values, but we know from scripture that God is drawn to worship. 
the presence of God. The Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. It says that in worship, the light of his countenance, which is his face, shines upon us. Worship draws God to you. When there is true worship and it's not performance or self-worship, when you're truly worshiping God, it brings his presence in and it makes the enemy flee. It makes the enemy uncomfortable because the enemy does not like to be in the presence of people worshiping God. So I always tell people when there's a situation in your life and you don't seem to get the victory or the breakthrough in it and you want that quick turnaround, you want that breakthrough, you need to start praising. You need to start worshiping because the Bible says that worship brings confusion to the enemy's camp. And I always tell people that if the devil flees from the presence of worship, remember when an evil spirit vexed Saul, it says that David played his harp and the evil spirit that vexed Saul fled. The enemy runs away from true worship. And that's why you see sometimes people beginning to manifest in the presence of true worship, because if the person isn't running away, the demon in them is trying to, and that starts to stir them up. And usually the person will either go through deliverance and allow the demon to run away, or the person will agree with the demon and run away with it. One way or the other, you're going to stir something up. But the enemy flees from the presence of true worship of God, and if the devil flees, that's going to leave his camp in a lot of confusion. So you can move in with quick and easy victory that you wouldn't normally have. So I encourage you in your prayer life before you war, worship. Before you bring your need, worship. Before you petition, worship. I will enter into his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter into his courts with praise. Begin with worship. And it will set the stage for everything else that comes after. I, I hear a lot of teachings lately. I hear a lot of people, and I've been listening to a few things on YouTube, and I, I see these revivals in these places where God moved, and I see a lot of people trying to teach about the glory because they're trying to explain something that they don't fully have the ability to explain, something they don't understand. And I heard somebody say that, you know, if you've never experienced the glory of God, you really can't teach on it. You really don't understand it. And I began to realize how few people have experienced the glory. And it's really very sad because every person can. It's not as elusive as many people try to make it. In fact, some of the people who have had these moves of God in their church try to package it and sell it like it is this extremely elusive thing that you need to book them to come and tell you about because it happened in their church and they're the only ones that can tell you about it. And the truth of the matter is, is that the anointing flows, and we're going to talk about the anointing, but in a place of worship, where God is truly worshiped and all self is laid aside and the people that are leading are in tune with the spirit and they're doing what God is saying to do and they're allowing themselves to be the instrument and to be the vessel, God can walk in and do what he wants to do. His presence will come and that's what the glory is. The glory is him. It's his presence. It is God. You don't have to make it this elusive, ridiculous thing that some people try to make it to package it and patent it. The glory is God. He is the king of glory. And if the king of glory walks in the room, glory comes with him. And the glory is the power of the kingdom of God that takes away the curse, that breaks the yoke of bondage, that brings the healing. Because when the kingdom of God is here, 
We talked about this before in one of the previous lessons, that when the kingdom of God comes, it overpowers the lesser kingdoms of the earth. And because there is no sickness in heaven, healing comes. Because there is no oppression in heaven, deliverance comes. Because there is no lost people in heaven, salvations come when the kingdom comes when the kingdom is here, when he walks in the room, when the king walks in the room, the kingdom comes in with him, and that's what glory is. It's the kingdom. And the Bible says that when his will is done, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then his kingdom will come. His kingdom will come when his will is done and no other time. So all a person has to do to experience the glory of God in their prayer time or in their life is humble themselves Say thy will be done and live accordingly. Walk out your life according to his will and his glory and his kingdom will come and manifest in it and you will feel that. It's a little more difficult in a service because you have multiple people that have to do that. All of your worship leaders, your worship team, your ministers, your ministry staff, your, your people that are behind the pulpits, they have to be walking out God's will. They have to be in alignment with his will and allowing his will to manifest, not just in their life, but also in the service. So if he wants to take the service in a different direction, you got to follow his lead. If he wants to take the worship in a different direction, you got to follow his lead. If he wants to say something, if he wants to change the song, if he wants to stop in free worship, you follow his lead. And when you do these things, his presence will come in. I've seen God walk into services and I've seen him walk out of services. And it's all hinged upon allowing him to have control of the service because he will not share his glory with another. And the second you start to take control away from him, you are taking the glory away and he won't endorse it. He will not share his glory with another. He will walk out and you'll go back to just putting on the show like most services are. So we're going to look through scripture a little bit tonight. And I will say, I... I don't know how I can say this without saying a whole lot. But basically, I've heard a lot of people try to argue worship like they know, but they've never experienced. They've never been pressed. They've never been crushed. They've never experienced the presence. They've never experienced glory. They've never experienced God's presence. And these are not things that we commonly talk about or that you go and brag about, and I don't say it to brag, but I say it's frustrating in the spirit when I know that I have for night after night sat face to face with Jesus, when I know that I heard his voice days and days on, and there rarely comes a day that I don't hear directly straight from him, when I felt the weight of glory, and then you have somebody that comes and tries to tell you who is not doing it and can't even feel that they're not doing it, can't even feel when they're grieving the Holy Spirit, try to tell you how to do it, and they don't know. And it's so frustrating because you know there's no way you can explain it to them. Because until a person is willing to be crushed, they will never have an anointing. Anointing comes in crushing. The oil always represented the anointing in Scripture. Olive oil. But how do you get olive oil? The olive oil can only flow out of the olive when the olive is crushed. And the anointing only flows through people's lives once they've been crushed once they've gone through the weight of some trial. You know, Jesus 
he was our sacrificial lamb. He was a sweet and loving Jesus, but it wasn't until he went through the trial and the crushing of the garden of Gethsemane and the crucifixion that he came back as the king of glory. The anointing, that glory, it flows because of the crushing. The garden of Gethsemane and the, the Mount of Olives were these places were where Jesus was in his final hours while he was going through this crushing literally means the place of olives. It was a place of crushing. It's the place where the anointing begins to flow. And it ties a little bit back to the shake it off message that says God is willing to use us if we are willing to stand through the trials and the attacks that it's going to stir up because it's going to take a crushing. But most people say, you know what? I want the glory, but I don't want the crushing. I want the Pentecost, but I don't want the cross. I don't want the Passover. And you have to be willing to go through the crushing before the oil and the anointing will flow. So a lot of times people say, Lord, use me. And so then he begins to allow the pressure to build up in order to crush and allow that anointing to flow out of you. And then you start fighting back or you start getting angry or you start causing conflict or you run from the crushing or you prevent it or you fight it. And so it never comes to fruition. And then you get angry or jealous or envious at the person who is anointed, but you don't realize they went through oppressing. They didn't fight the pressing. They allowed the weight of crushing to come on them. There was some trial. There was some circumstance. There was a, some situation. And the truth of the matter is, is that for most of the people that are truly anointed, you never really know that or know what it is because there's no way for them to express that to you without throwing a lot of people under the bus. Because when you go through crushings, it's going to usually be by the hands of other people. The enemy is going to use other people and God's going to allow it to press that thing out of you, to push you to that point of prayer and of intimacy and of dependency. The people that you see that were truly anointed, they went through crushings. They just didn't talk about it because they didn't want to throw people under the bus in the process. They went through crushings that were serious, that were traumatic that were life-changing, that were bringing them to the brink of, I don't even want to be here anymore, but they endured it in order for that anointing to flow. In other words, they faced a Gethsemane. There will be no anointing until you have faced a Gethsemane moment. A lot of times people seek the glory, they seek the stage, they want to be worship leaders, but there's no power behind it because they've never been crushed. You have to have been crushed to the point of losing your own glory or desire for glory or God won't use you because he will not share his glory with another. If you think you have something to offer, that your skill, your talent, or your presence is useful, then you can't be used and you're not being called. Sit down. God has no use for you. You're not crushed. God has to bring you to the point where you are absolutely and totally willing to be completely dependent and led by him. That you have a relationship with him in prayer and in intimacy that was brought through trial and through crushing. The hardships that you go through are what produce the brokenness that the anointing can flow through. Because what really is happening in the anointing is that God is directly manifesting through you. But if your flesh is whole, you're going to block him. 
You're going to try to do things your way. You're going to try to use your skills and your talent and it's going to block him and he's not going to be able to use. Once you are so crushed to the point that you finally break and surrender and then he can completely float. He can come through you and the anointing can break the yokes. The anointing has to break you before it can break the yokes in anybody else. So I've been through pressings and pressures and I can tell you, you know, there was something that had happened for about a year or so and I didn't even realize until this morning when God was giving me some of this part of the message what it was. But there was a time period for about a year that every time I prayed or worshipped, the fragrance of maple syrup would fill the room so strong that it began to be a thing around Baton Rouge. They would talk about the maple syrup girl. I'm going to vouch for that. It was insane. It's very true. It smells wrong. And, and I didn't realize until today when the Lord revealed to me because I remembered at the point at which it started and the things that I was going through and fighting and dealing with in the spirit and I realized and the Lord pressed it upon me it was the fragrance of the anointing it was the breaking point it's that point at which the crushing became so complete that it became a tangible manifestation of glory that was coming through because it was finally crushed and the fragrance was tangible through it it came out and it manifested and I'll tell you just very quickly when it began uh, I didn't even realize it was me because me and Jessica and a couple of friends were in Florida and we started smelling it. And for a few days, we kept blaming each other that something had busted in our luggage and everybody was like, you smell like maple syrup. No, it must be their hair product. No, whatever. Well, then finally, when I get home and I go to the, the pig and as soon as I walk in, the cashier's like, please go check the cereal aisle. Somebody must have busted some maple syrup down there. And I'm like, and then I go to the bank and they're like, why does it smell like maple syrup in here? I'm like, and then I go to Walmart and they're like, we need a cleanup on the cereal aisle. I smell maple syrup. And I'm like, it must be me. <laughs> so come to find out it was. And it was, it, and this went on for at least a year and it was very undeniably strong. Jessica's mom. She would tell everybody we would meet. She, That's the maple syrup girl. Go smell her. Like people would randomly come up to me in Baton Rouge, grab my arm and be like, you do. <laughs> but I, I never really understood what it was. In fact, I went to Doc. He said, I just think you have a sweet spirit. I was like, okay, I'll take that. <laughs> but it was in this lesson, re- realizing the point at which it happened and the time frame at which it was coming, I, I, I began to realize it was the crushing. It's the crushing. And it was God showing the anointing was beginning to flow. And he was showing it in a tangible way but you must be crushed when the when the olive is crushed the anointing will flow so don't don't forsake the trials and the attacks and those hard things if they drive you to prayer if they drive you to intimacy if they drive you to dependency if they drive you to having that communion and communication with God it's driving you to the anointing because that's what it's truly going to take and it will drive you to worship and this is what God is really waiting to see. When you are at the point of absolute crushing, are you still going to worship? When you are in the Garden of Gethsemane and though you're crying out, Lord, if it be possible, let this thing pass from me. 
nevertheless, your will be done. Will you still praise? Will you still worship? When you're seeing that there is no possible way for you to not have to drink from this cup, will you still worship? You know, the Lord had given me a dream one time about there was like a youth service and there was a lot of young people around and and there was a bunch of people inside and then I went outside, it was over and there were empty cups everywhere and I was picking up the empty cups off the ground and I was like, what is this about? And then the Lord kind of revealed to me that as long as the service and the hype was going on inside and it was all fun, the, the young people were there, but when they were handed out the cups, they all dropped their cups and left. Nobody was willing to drink from the cup. And it's the cup of affliction that actually produces the anointing but very few people get to that point because they throw the cup down and walk away. They don't want to drink from the cup. So allow yourself to be crushed so that the anointing can flow. The oil will flow. God doesn't anoint songs. One of the messages we heard this week, uh, the young minister, he said something and I had never thought about it, but I agree with him. He said, I'm so sick and tired of hearing that was an anointed song or that was an anointed message. He said, let me tell you something. God doesn't anoint songs. He anoints worshipers. He doesn't anoint messages. He anoints messengers. And he's right. And I can prove it to you that he's right. Because you can hear the same song sung by ten people and only one of them will be anointed. If the song was anointed, it would be anointed no matter who sung it. It's not the song. It's the person who is singing it. So it matters who ministers in your church. It matters who worships in your church. Is the person anointed because a good song isn't going to bring the anointing. It's the person that has been crushed that the anointing can flow freely through because they have given up all self. They've given up all ambition, all desire for glory. And it's really bringing you to that point where you have and have proven that it's not about you and it's not about your glory because he will not share his glory with another. He will move through vessels that are willing to let him move, to let him have control and to let him have the glory. He anoints people, people who have been crushed. If you remember the story of David, when God anointed David to be king when he was a little boy, the prophet came in and he called Jesse to bring all his sons. And Jesse brought all of his sons. And he had the anointing oil in the flask, in the horn. Well, it was in a horn because Saul was anointed from the flask. David was anointed from the horn. When Jesse's sons were lined up, Samuel was like, well, this looks like a a very strapping young lad. He would make a good king. Now, the prophet knows that God said one of Jesse's sons is going to be king, but the oil won't flow. So he asked Jesse, do you have any more sons? And he was like, yeah, just a little scrappy boy out in the field taking care of sheep. Now, if you read through some of David's songs, there was something going on in David's family that's not really listed in scripture, but David was despised and rejected. Because in some of his songs, he talks about how God was with him from the beginning, even when he was a baby with his mom, that he was rejected, that he was not wanted, that he was... There's even people that question whether or not he was even born out of wedlock, which I don't believe because he was of the lineage. But it it talks about him as being not really accepted as one of the kids. And that was kind of implied in the fact that when the prophet says, bring me your sons, Jesse brought everybody but David. David was despised and rejected. David was crushed. The anointing oil only flowed for David. The oil will only flow on those who have been crushed. It was, I think it was 
Smith Wigglesworth, who had said that if you want to be used by God, the first thing you have to do is be delivered from your desire to be seen or heard. If you want to be seen or heard, if you care what other people think, if you want vainglory, you're never actually going to be able to be used by God because you're not going to endure the crushing. Because the crushing is going to make you not want it. It's going to make you despised and rejected. David was an, archi- was an archetype for Christ because Christ was despised and rejected. David was despised and rejected. Joseph was despised and rejected. Everyone in scripture that the anointing flowed through, they went through their season of being despised and rejected. So if you find yourself being the outcast in your family, the outcast in your church, the outcast in your school, the outcast in your community, then you may just be being crushed so that the anointing can flow through you. That's why God always uses the least likely because they have endured the crushing. They will allow themselves to be fully used by God. They've gone through their Gethsemanes. People that want to be seen, liked, heard, accepted, or understood will fight the crushing and the anointing will never flow through them. And I'll tell you this, every new crushing will bring a new anointing. David was despised and rejected by his family and left to fight lions and bears and that gave him an anointing to fight Goliath. But he had to be crushed further by his trials running from Saul to get the anointing to be king. The anointing he got as a child was not enough to be king. It was enough for the trial at hand. But just because you went through something a long time ago doesn't entitle you for a future promise. God will give you a promise and you'll be really excited for it. And then you'll go through the crushing. And then at the end of that promise, he's going to give you another promise. Don't think that your previous crushing is going to get it for you. You're going through another Gethsemane. New crushings bring new anointings. Don't think that what you've already been through entitles you to what God is now promising you. You already have the anointing afforded you by the previous crushing. Every new promise entitles and initiates and activates a new crushing to bring forth a new anointing. It's in the crushing that you learn how to pray, and prayer releases everything. New levels of crushing bring new levels of prayer, and new levels of prayer bring new levels of power. So if you really are going to pray the prayer, God, use me, what you're really praying is, God, crush me. And really, the crushing is the threshing. So this is really tied into Danny's sermon from last week about the threshing, but we're going to call it the crushing because that's what it comes down to. You're going to be used by God. You're going to go through a crushing. It's not going to be pleasant, and it's not going to be comfortable. But on the other end of it, there is glory if you're willing to endure it. All right, that's the preface. So now we're going to examine a few different types of worshipers that we have in churches. In most churches, you will find performers and entertainers, all right? These were people who were never willing to be crushed, but they wanted a platform. Performers enjoy people worshiping them, their skills and abilities. Entertainers enjoy when the people are enjoying themselves. In a church, this is equal to self-worship or self-idolatry on the congregation's part. Because what they like and react to is more important than what God likes and reacts to. The reaction is more important than the message. Some churches have performers, but most churches have entertainers. All right? Performers are people that enjoy when people worship them. 
We've all seen it. They'll get up on stage and they'll sing that worship song, but it's really about their own attention. It's about people worshiping them. That's a performer. They are performing to be worshiped. Entertainers is what really most churches have. They want the people to feel good. They want the people to basically, it creates an attitude or an atmosphere of self-worship because the people are more concerned about themselves, what they like, what they want, what they want to react to. It's idolatry. But that's what most churches have. Then you have worship leaders. Worship leaders are thankful and selfless. Few churches have worship leaders, but worship leaders worship God from the heart and their worship instructs and inspires others to do the same, leading them into worship. They do minister to God. Some churches, fewer, but some churches have worship leaders. What they're doing is leading you into worship. They are truly worshiping God and they're showing you by demonstration how you ought to be worshiping God. Real worship is warfare. You are waging battle in the heavenlies. You see this in Moses when Moses had his hands raised and there was a battle going on. God was giving us a visual in the physical of what happens in the spiritual when you worship. Moses was had his hands up and he was in worship and as long as his hands were up, the battle was being fought beneath him and they were winning. As soon as his hands started to go down, they began to lose the battle. As soon as you stop worshiping, you're already losing the battle. So others came along. He was like a worship leader. Others came along alongside of him and helped him hold his arms up. They worshiped together until the battle was won. You may not believe it, but if you're truly worshiping God, you're participating in spiritual warfare. It's waging war. Then you have a higher level than that. You have what I call worship ministers. The worship ministers are usually those who have been crushed. And it's easy for the spirit to flow through them and to flow out of them. Almost no churches have real worship ministers. There are a few, but these are very rare. Being a worship minister should be your goal in worship. They enter into God's presence, minister worship unto him, and relate to the people what he ministers back to them. For the worship minister, it's more than a song. It's a prayer, it's a word, it's a communion. They minister to God and God ministers through them. They are a broken vessel from the Lord that he can use without resistance, no pride, total crushing, complete surrender. A worship minister ministers to God and they hear from God and minister back what he is saying. They allow themselves to be completely used. His word flows through them. They are literally ministering. They are preaching from the platform of worship. They are prophesying from the platform of worship. They are ministering just as much as any other office of ministry because the spirit of the Lord is coming through them at the same time that they're also ministering to God and instructing the people to do the same. Performers, we look at a temple example. If you look at the temple, Jacob's done some lessons on the temple. You had the, the temple and then there was like an outer courts area and then there was the inner court area where the Holy Spirit resided. Performers and entertainers are not even in the temple. They're dancing before golden calves. If you remember the story of Moses when he went up on the mountain and then you had them doing their little fake service at the bottom and they were all dancing before the golden calf and pretending it was a service. They even said, we will have a feast unto the Lord tomorrow. They set up a whole service, but the whole time they were dancing before idols and calling it a church service. 
That's what performers and entertainers are doing. God never called that service. He never called them to it. He never ordained that feast and that service. Or it, it was, it was all fake. It was all just a big show. That's what they, they're not even in the temple. They don't even, they don't even register on the scale. Worship leaders are in the outer court of the temple, which is where most of your congregation gathered. But worship ministers enter the Holy of Holies. They're like the Zadok priest. For those that were here, we don't have time to go into it, but you can go back to the end of the lesson on Eli to find out about the Zadok priest. They were the ministers that ministered unto the Lord on the inside. They got the closest. They were in the Holy of Holies. So to be a worship minister, it takes time. It takes sacrifice. It takes prayer. It takes fasting. It takes seeking. It takes listening. And it takes obeying just like any other minister. If you aren't doing these things, you are not a minister. You're an imposter. If you're not doing these things in any of the offices of ministry, you're not a minister. You're an imposter. Just like any other minister, a worship minister is not a position that you walk into because you want to or because you think you sing good or because you want to be on a stage. It is appointed and anointed by God. God appoints and God anoints. God positions and God commissions. Just like the preacher, this business about voting in and voting out preachers is absolutely unscriptural. God appoints and God anoints. God positions and God commissions. It's his will. He does it. Anything else is an imposter. I'm sorry if it's unpleasing. If you want to be in those permissions. Now the Bible says to seek earnestly the best gifts. Get before him in prayer and tell him, Lord, I would desire to do this. Nevertheless, your will be done. I am willing to go through the crushing. And when the crushing comes, go through it. And he will position. That's why he says take the lowest seat and allow him to position you. Because if you position yourself at some point, he is going to knock you down. And it's usually a public knocking down. And you don't want to go through that. Allow him to raise you up. All right. We're looking at worship ministers, but you can compare it to a pastor because ministry is ministry. And they all take the same uh, criteria, so to say. A true pastor must pray, they must seek, they must commune with God many hours to bring forth a one-hour message. He does not just find a good sermon that he likes and repeat it to you. He might quote one, but he seeks the Lord for what the Lord wants said and wants done on that day. It, it might take me, I don't know, 20 hours a week of praying, seeking putting together, searching out the Lord, spending the night with Him, staying up and hearing from Him to get what it is He's trying to say. But then once He gives it to me, it might take 20 minutes to an hour to actually write it out. But i got to make sure I understand what He's trying to say before I get it together. Um, but just like a pastor is going to spend a lot of time during the week seeking the Lord to bring a one-hour message... A true worship minister is going to spend many hours during the week seeking the Lord to find out what is the message that's coming. What songs is he wanting me to, what is the word he's bringing forth this week? What is this that's coming together in this message? Lord, what are you speaking to me? Lord, who are you working on dealing with? It's the same thing. And I, and you know, the Lord had given me this word about a year ago because I remember God gave me this message about a year ago. And at the time, he had given me a word and I had posted on Facebook and I included it in part of this message. 
I'm going to read it to you because it definitely applies. And it says, if you're not praying in private, you have no place praying in public. If you're not worshiping when no one is looking, you have no right to worship on a stage before men. If you're not preaching to the mirror, you should by no means be preaching to others. The fires of revival are sparked in the hearts of the individual in the secret place of prayer when it's just them and God. Stoked by prayer, fed by fasting, fanned by fervency, brokenness, humility, and thankfulness until you are set ablaze for God and all self-doubt and fear is burned away. Then and only then can it be spread to others, igniting everyone you touch with the simple acts of obedience to the instructions gained in the secret place with God. True revival fire comes from God. Strange fire comes from men. Remember, the fire didn't fall on the altar. It fell on the sacrifice. And only when the sacrifice was pleasing and acceptable to God. So offer a sacrifice of praise, prayer, fasting, and obedience and watch the fire of God fall on you like never before. It's got to come in the secret. What the church gets is just overflow. If what the people are getting from you is more than what's happening at home, you're an imposter. You're just doing it for the people. You're doing it for the praise. It's not of God. You need to sit yourself down until you get to that place of prayer. And this goes for me too, because you can be doing it right, but you can come to that place where you're not anymore. This applies to everybody. I'm not trying to be mean or point anyone out. And of course, a lot of the stuff we teach is for podcast sake, because it goes to other churches that aren't doing it right. But I say it sincerely that, If you are not praying for hours at home, don't get up here and put on a show and try to pray before people. If you are not worshiping, and I'm not talking about practicing. Performers and entertainers practice. Worshippers worship. If you are not worshiping where nobody is seeing, you have no no place getting up and worshiping before people because you're just doing it for attention. If you're not doing it when no one's looking, you're not doing it for God. And it applies to any form or fashion or aspect of ministry. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We are living sacrifices. The Bible talks about giving a sacrifice of praise It's because you don't always feel like praising. It's because you don't always feel like spending that time in the prayer closet. It's because you don't always feel like spending that time. But it's a sacrifice of praise because if you truly love God, you're going to do it. You don't always feel like rubbing your spouse's feet. Hint, hint, hint. (laughs) But it's a sacrifice of love. It's a sacrifice of praise that if you love them, you're going to put forth the effort to do it. The least you can do. That's right. A lot of times we lighten the load of the ark bearer. But if in scripture there was the ark of the covenant, which represents the presence of God. And the ark of the covenant, Danny preached on this, I think not too very long ago. They were instructed by God to carry the ark on their shoulders. There were certain priests whose job it was to bear the weight of the presence of God. They were usually Levites. They were a family that were brought up uh, in this anointing to be able to bear the weight because it is a weighty thing to carry the presence of God. 
But King David decided, I'm going to make it easier. We're going to build a cart and we're going to put it on the cart. But God never said, it's never meant to be easy to carry the presence. God never intended for it to be easy to carry the presence. Because when it's easy, you lose reverence for it. You make it a light thing. And so they tried to lighten the burden and put it on this cart, but it brought death. Anytime you try to lighten the burden and make it easier to bring the presence, all you're actually going to do is bring death because it was never meant to be easy. It is a weighty thing to carry the presence. And I think a lot of people are desiring to jump up on stages because they think it's a light thing. They think it's an easy thing. They don't understand the weightiness that you must be crushed because there can't be any of you left, any of your flesh left before you get up there because your flesh cannot glory in God's presence or God will not be there. And what you're going to end up having is a service before a golden calf. If you want the real thing, you're going to have to go through the real thing and you're going to have to carry the weight and the burden of the presence. The carriers of God's presence could not have livestock. All of their time was devoted to carrying God's presence. They weren't allowed to have fields. They weren't allowed to have hobbies. They weren't allowed to have anything. The presence was their full-time devotion. They spent all of their time either bearing the weight or preparing to bear the weight of the presence. So a person that's truly in ministry, truly wanting to do this, it's not a weekend thing where you get to stand before people. It is a 24 hours a day, every day of the week, you don't get to have hobbies position. You get on your knees before God. If you've got a little extra time, you get in the presence. You're going to bear the weight of the burden. They were not allowed to have livestock and animals and and fields and all of these extra things that others were allowed to have because everything that they were was devoted to the presence. And then that's why it was entrusted to them. So let's look at some biblical examples of right and wrong worship. One thing about it in Scripture in the Old Testament, when they were instructed to build the altars, the altars could not be touched by their tools. God would tell them, go and get stones that God had made himself and pile them up, but they couldn't use their own tools to build the altar. That means that your skills, your talent, your training, your degree is not going to be useful to build the altar. You cannot use your tools to bring God's presence. If you do, It's not worthy and he won't fall on it. The anointing will not flow. And really that's mostly what the crushing process is for is to strip away all of your reliance and your faith in your tools. It's to take your tools away. Unless you're willing to be absolutely stripped and crushed so that only God can come through and nothing else to pollute it, you won't be able to be used. No tool made by man can touch the altar. Now, we know that the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. But there's another passage where God literally said, I hate your praise. I hate your worship. There was, (laughs) and I tried to find it and I couldn't find it, so I'll look for it and I'll give it to y'all later. I got another passage that basically says the same thing, but not in such direct words. But I, I tell you this because there was a point at which me and Danny were going to Baton Rouge to go help a, a group of young ministers do a conference at one point, And they were doing some worship, and I'm praying about it, and we're about to leave. 
And God says, open the Bible. I open it and it opens to a passage that says, tell them I hate their worship. Like that's the passage literally says, I hate your worship. And I'm like, this is not going to be a good trip. And then he gave me a word for them. And the word that God gave for me was tell them they have a Cain's worship. And so while we're on our way there, I'm, I'm talking with the Lord and, and he's explaining to me that, you know, Cain, he brought a sacrifice to God. And his brother Abel, he brought a sacrifice to God. Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God's and Cain's wasn't. Abel's was a true sacrifice because it was livestock that he loved. It was something that was sacrificial to him, but more so than that, it was what God had instructed him to give up. Because it says in later passages that the reason Cain hated Abel was because Abel's sacrifice was righteous and his was not. Now, the only way for it to be righteous and his not is if God had told them what to do. Because righteous means to be in right standing with God. And so Cain thought he could do better. And what he was really doing when he brought his crop to God was saying, look what I did. Look what I grew with my own hands. In other words, Abel was saying, I don't want to give this up, but this is what the Lord told me to do, so I'm going to be obedient and my heart breaks. I am crushed by having to do this, but I will obey because I love you. And his sacrifice was acceptable. What Abel was doing was saying, look at the works of my hands. God, look what I did. Worship it. Abel was worshiping God because he was being crushed by what he was offering. Cain was asking God to worship him by saying, look what I've got. Look at my talent. Look at my gift. Look at my song. Look at how good I sing. Look at how good I play. Look at how great I am. Look at what I built with my hand. Look at what I did. Look at what I did. God, you worship me. That's what he's saying. And that's what the Lord had basically told me. Go tell him this. So that's another story. Yeah. They did not receive our word and everything that we told them that weekend has since played out. And they are so, so in a bad place, all of them now. All right, so Cain and Abel. Many people in music ministry today are offering Cain's sacrifices. because, and, and one of the things that I knew when we first got there, one of the young ministers that was there he 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 said this he said something to the effect of people complain that I play too loud or whatever but I give God all that I have but it's the way that he said it I don't remember the exact wording but he was implying that what he had was so good that it didn't matter what anybody said or thought he was just going to give God everything that he had and and but the point of the matter is is that God doesn't want what you have God wanted to do something that weekend God wanted specific people with specific anointings to do specific things. That would have been a righteous sacrifice. He wanted to show off. He wanted to perform. He wanted a platform. And he covered it by saying, I'm just giving to God the best that I have. No, you're trying to show the people that you're doing what Cain did. Look what I have, God, worship it. You're not doing what Abel did. I really don't want to do this, but Lord, I'm going to worship you. It's crushing me but I will be obedient because this is what you want. I'm worshiping you. Cain was saying, worship me. Cain wasn't actually worshiping God. He was inviting God to worship him. One more point we have to make about Cain is that because Abel did what God had told him and went through the crushing, 
though it was hurtful to him, he was obedient. Cain, wanting to be worshipped, was rejected by God and the anointing wasn't on him. So instead of humbling himself and saying, okay, I need to do it like Abel, he then attacked Abel. And I've seen this happen over and over and over, that when somebody does go through the crushing and they are anointed and they are used by God, those who were unwilling to suffer the sacrifice of the crushing, instead of humbling, they then become envious and start attacking those that do. He killed his brother because he was envious, because he wouldn't go through the crushing to do the sacrifice right. I have seen so many people tear down other people's kisses. You know, Nathan Morris had did this sermon about the upper room, and in the upper room there was a chair, and the chair was called the kisay. It represented the worship. I've seen so many people tear down other people's ministries and other people's place of worship out of envy, out of jealousy, or tear down other people's position or callings or the things God had placed them to do. They gossip, they slander, they come against them, they character kill, they discourage them. And it's really out of envy because they wouldn't go through the crushing, but they wanted the glory on the other end of it. They couldn't get it the way they were supposed to. So instead of doing what they needed to to be elevated to their level, they pulled them down to theirs. It happens a lot in all form of ministry and in the church in general, but it happens a lot in worship. We don't have it here because God has done a work in our worship team right now but through the years i've seen it a lot in worship you can have some catty catty cat fights going on in worship because you get people that want to be worshiped and they fight for the spotlight but the truth is is that they were too lazy lustful fleshly and selfish to build their own key so they tear down their brothers instead it's it happened to cain and abel it happened that's exactly what happened with saul and with david And that's exactly what happened with the Pharisees and with Jesus. It was the same thing. David, Abel, and Jesus were willing to be crushed so that the anointing would rest upon them. Cain, Saul, and the Pharisees would not. So instead they attacked the other out of envy and tried to tear them down. Partially so that others wouldn't see how unanointed they were because they had not been willing to go through the crushing. And you will see that anytime the move of God or the anointing begins to flow on a person or a ministry, the first people that are going to attack them are going to be other ministries and other ministers who were never meant to be in those positions because they never went through the crushing themselves. And because you did and the anointing is there, they're going to try to character kill, gossip, slander, false doctrinate you. They're going to do what they can to tear you down because they are envious one And it proves that they did not go through what they needed to go through to get to where they need to be when others see that you have. Let's look at what happens when you get it wrong in worship. And we're going to cover the story of strange fire. Go to Leviticus 9.23. All right, this is a story we call the story of strange fire. I didn't even know this story was in the Bible. I will tell you how this came about. One night uh, we were practicing worship, me and some friends. Uh, there was a person who was not part of the worship team, uh, who was just a friend who got up and decided to play with us. And, and the Lord came on me so strong and he told me, stop right now. And I, I kind of hesitated. And he was like, if you do not stop right now, my spirit will depart. And I was like, okay, God's angry. So I stopped. 
And I told him, I don't know what it is, but God's very angry. He says there's strange fire and I'm not playing another card. Not knowing what it meant, I went home and looked it up and this is the passage that it's about. Later it confirmed by the situations that were going on that it was definitely God. But the story says in Leviticus 23, And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. All right? They would bring the sacrifice. They would place it on the altar. Aaron and Moses, who were anointed and appointed, commissioned and positioned by God, go out before the congregation. And then the glory of the Lord comes down as a fire. God sends his fire down and it consumes the sacrifice. No person creates this fire. God himself sends the fire down. All right, jump to verse 1 of the next chapter, verse chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 1 says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, all right, these are Aaron's sons, took either of them a censer and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said unto Aaron, now Aaron is Moses' brother, so these are Moses' nephews that just... Those are are pastor's kids. They were... Aaron the high priest and his four sons were actually the priests. Right. Yeah. So Moses, Moses' brother Aaron, these are Aaron's sons. These are priests. They go, God's fire has fallen and consumed the, the sacrifice. They go and put fire in their little, their censers. They go and bring it to the fire. All right, but God never told them to do this. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me. In other words, if you come near the Lord, you better be holy. You better be sanctified. You better not have any agenda. You better not be looking for your own glory. You better not be trying to add something to what God is doing or take something from it. You better not say a word unless the Lord has told you to say it. He said, they must be sanctified that come nigh to me. But before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Now, this is Aaron's sons that were just killed before him. He didn't say a word. And Moses called. Michelle and Fan, Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said unto them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said unto Aaron and unto Eleazar and, and unto Ithamar, which Eleazar and Ithamar were Aaron's sons, other sons. So this is the daddy and the two brothers. All right, so Moses says to Aaron and the two brothers of the deceased, his sons, uncover not your heads, neither rend your clothes, lest ye die. In other words, don't even mourn for them or you will die. This is how angry the Lord was at what they did. And lest wrath come upon all the people, but let your brethren 
the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord hath kindled, and ye shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of the congregation lest ye die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. So God was so angry about this strange fire because what happened is the Lord himself would send the fire. The Lord himself sends the glory. God does the power. God sends the anointing. God does the work. They thought they could add something to it. God never told them to do this. They thought that what they had, their idea, was better than God's. They thought what they had to offer was better than God's. They wanted to get them a little glory. They wanted to get in on the action. They wanted to be part of the ceremony. They were never called to be part of it. You cannot improve on God. It angered God so much that not only did he strike them dead, but he told their family, go bury him, but don't even grieve for him. Because if you grieve for him, I'm going to kill you too. That's how serious God takes it. And people don't take God serious. They steal his glory all the time. They add their own two cents. They want to do it their way. They want. They don't understand. The Bible says you are heaping for yourself wrath upon the day of judgment. You don't realize what you're doing. Now, that's an example of how God sees it when you get it wrong. Really quick, I'm going to show you what it looks like in Scripture when you get it right. We don't have that much left. Go to 2 Chronicles 5.11. We're going to see what it looks like when you get it right. And this is why it's so important to sanctify the pulpit, to sanctify the stage, to sanctify your worship team and your ministers and to make sure that it is perfect, right, and holy before the Lord because this is what can happen when you get it right. Second Chronicles 5:11 says, <clears throat> "And it came to pass, when the priests were come out of the holy place, for all the priests that were present were sanctified, all of them, and did not then wait by course. Also the Levites, which were the singers, all of them of Asaph. Second uh, Chronicles 5:11. Um, and all the singers, all of them of Esaph, of Him, Himan, of Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed with light white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them a hundred and twenty priests sounding with trumpets. It came even to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one. Remember, they were all sanctified, and this is key. To make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpet and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. They worshiped that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. All that it took, and I say all, this is actually very difficult to achieve, apparently, was for them to all be sanctified, holy, righteous of the Lord, and to be in one mind and one accord, worshiping 
God. And he came and his glory filled the house. And they were all, the priests were slain. They couldn't get up and minister. They couldn't preach. The glory of the Lord did the work because they were slain under the weight and the presence of God walking into the room. That's what happens when you get it right. Now, I will tell you something that I have learned over a lifetime of being around ministry and worship. The Bible says that deep calls unto deep. In other words, the Holy Spirit of God calls unto the Holy Spirit in you, and it draws it, and it pulls, and it connects, and you feel that connection. But in the same manner, manner familiar spirits seek familiar spirits. And so another reason why it's so important to have a sanctified worship team and to not allow people to get on the worship team who don't have the right spirit is that a worship leader is a summoner. You are literally calling forth the Holy Spirit into the service. The congregation are coming into agreement with that and partaking of that. But if your worship leader has any other spirit, they are calling those spirits in and the congregation is receiving, agreeing, and partaking of that also. And I've seen it so many times. There was a time many, many, many years ago when we weren't so strict with who got up and sang and so forth that a girl got up and sang. She just wanted to sing a special. She wasn't part of the worship team or anything, but the family would be coming or whatever. She wanted to sing a special. So we didn't know any better. Well, sure, you'd sing your song. It was a, a church song. It was a, a godly song. The song had a good message. But the messenger was not anointed, at least not by God. They did have an anointing, but that was an unholy anointing, which we will cover a little bit at the end. But this girl had a little bit of an issue with depression, with suicide. And for the rest of the week, we had calls from congregation members dealing with depression, with spirits of suicide. Even older people who really didn't deal with that kind of stuff would be saying things like, I just wish I was with the Lord. I just wish I would be with my, my spouse. I just wish I was with my sister in heaven. And I began to realize because I knew, I don't know that because I wasn't in leadership at the time. I don't think the leadership even knew, but because she was my age, I knew her thought process that there was an issue right here with a suicidal spirit. And I began to realize, you know what? The spirit in her, familiar seeks familiar. And what she called into that service, the congregation came into agreement with and it jumped on them. And the whole week they were fighting with the same thing. That's why I can tell you ministries that I've been in where, and I won't call out names, but where I know the worship leader had an issue with alcohol and going to the clubs. Almost every person in the church had an issue with alcohol and going to the clubs. Another minister in another ministry that I know of who had an issue with perversion just about every person in that church ended up in some form of perversion. And they may not have even known that they were doing these things, but what they were coming into agreement with, they were worshiping and accepting, and it was getting on them. That's why it's so important to have a sanctified leadership. Sanctified. What you are worshiping, you are coming into agreement with. And what your worship leader is calling in, you are receiving and partaking in. You make sure your worship leaders are sanctified. No, and you know, most, most churches nowadays, they hire musicians. They pay musicians, and so they audition musicians, and they think nothing of hiring a musician that plays in the bar on Saturday night to lead their worship on Sunday morning because it's a hired musician. Not, they're an, right, and they don't understand that they are ministers also. They're bringing those spirits with them. All right, we're going to cover, this will be our last topic to cover. We're almost done, but I want to cover the difference between the spirit of worship and the spirit of music. 
because this is important. The Bible says to worship God in spirit and in truth because the only thing the devil can't counterfeit is a holy life. That's why worship is more than a song. It's a lifestyle. That's our motto. The worship is your lifestyle. The anointing comes forth in that and then we worship him in song, but worship is not the song. But we worship God in spirit and in truth, in our actions and in spirit, in the worship. So can a song be anointed? We say no, but a life can be anointed. So if you want anointing in your worship, then it has to be led by people with anointed lives. Now, there are unholy anointings, which is basically the power of hell's endorsement, uh, which attracts flesh. That's why you have to make sure that your people... And, and the thing is, is that if a person ha- is a fleshly person, they will be drawn, because familiar seeks familiar, to people with unholy anointings. There are unholy anointings. We recognize it in the world. That's how you get Lady Gaga and, and people like that, you know, that people just draw to them. There are unholy anointings. But there are unholy anointings in the church too because I've listened to some worship songs and I tell Danny right off the bat, no, there's a bad spirit there. And then he'd go and look it up and find out the history of the singer and it's, yeah, there's very bad spirit there. There is an unholy anointing. But the only people that are going to be drawn to that are people that are fleshly because the flesh is going to draw to the flesh. It's going to tell you, if you have the Holy Spirit, you're going to catch that, nope, there's something there that doesn't click with my spirit. If the Holy Spirit, if the the worship leader is anointed of the Spirit, you're going to feel that and it's going to draw you because your spirit is going to bear witness with their spirit. So an unholy anointing is going to be something that draws the flesh. Entertainers and performers will move more in that. Um, Ezekiel 28 verse 11, because this is very important. There is a spirit of worship and there is a spirit of music. And your worship team in whatever church you are sitting in, will be operating in one or the other. There is no other option. They will have a spirit of music or a spirit of worship. This is the spirit of music. Ezekiel 28, 11 says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyre, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty, all right, spirit of music, you will see these people, they're very concerned about how it looks, the image, the beauty of it. But that's a very attractive worship leader. That's a very nice stage. There's lots of smoke and lights. It's about the beauty, the look of it. Thou hast been in Eden. Okay, so now we know we were, they're not talking about the physical king of Tyre. This must be a principality, a, a spirit that's ruling over Tyre. This spirit is beautiful, and it was in Eden, the garden of God. So who do we know was in Eden? Adam, Eve, and Lucifer. So we're talking about Lucifer here. Satan. Every precious stone was thy covering. He had a lot of bling. The sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold the workmanship of thy tabards and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. This is a cherub is a type of angel. And I have set thee so 
Thou wast upon the holy mount of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. So this was an angel that was in the Garden of Eden also. But at one point he was in heaven walking before the throne of God day and night. He was beautiful. He was arrayed with all manner of precious stones and he was created with pipes and all forms of music within him. That was perfect. It's still... He's still called him the anointed cherub. Right, he was anointed. He didn't lose the anointing. Like, it's a perverted anointing. Right, it's a demonic anointing. Exactly. Right. Right, the devil had an anointing. It's a demonic anointing. And that phrase, that does prove there is a demonic anointing. Right. You are the anointed cherub. Right, but we're talking about the spirit of music here. So we were talking about the unholy anointings. The unholy anointing in music is the spirit of music. And we're going to, we're talking here about where this comes from. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created. So God created him perfect. Till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. And thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mount of God. So this angel was cast out of heaven. And I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up, pride. Those that have the the unholy anointing, those that work through the spirit of music will always have a pride. They will be prideful. It will be about them because that's what Lucifer had. He wanted to be worshipped. He was prideful because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. In other words, you started to worship yourself. I was, ca- I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuary by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ash upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. So this is talking about Lucifer. Lucifer's original job in heaven, he was created as an angel. He was created absolutely perfect and beautiful with instruments in his being. His job was to walk upon the stones of fire before the throne of God and worship. His job was worship leader in heaven. He is the angel of music, but he got prideful and began to want to be worshiped himself. He thought he was beautiful. He thought he was worthy of praise. He wanted the attention. And you see that when people have a spirit of music, it's about them. They think they're great. They're beautiful. They're worthy of praise. They take the worship away from God and begin to draw the attention upon themselves. They want to be worshiped because the devil is trying to take his position back through people. He's been evicted, but it's a spirit of music. So here's the thing. This is what people don't understand about music. Music that is not worshiping and glorifying God has a spirit behind it. It has a demonic anointing behind it, and it is Satan worship, no matter the form or formula, because it brings the focus back away from God and onto the spirit of music, which always wanted to be worshiped from the beginning. The spirit of music is so strong that it's usually the hardest thing for a person to let go of. And it's usually one of the last things that a Christian will part ways with in their pursuit of God. When a person gets saved, 
they you know they got to get rid of their drugs. They let go of the drugs. A lot of times they'll let go of the, the sexual sins and the moral sins. They'll let go of their drinking and, and cigarettes and a lot of these things. But one of the hardest things to convince a person to let go of is their worldly music. It's got a strong pull. The spirit of music, it's, it's so strong. A person will be willing to clean out their movies. Okay, yeah, these movies, they have cussing, they have bad things in it. I'll get rid of that. But yet they'll tolerate worse in the lyrics of the songs that they won't get rid of. You will tolerate things being sang to you that you would not tolerate being said to you because of the spirit of music behind it. A true worshiper will be humble. They will often get alone with God and God will be their only audience. You will be a person of much prayer and you will be used by the Holy Spirit daily. A person with the spirit of music or a musician will be prideful, void of private worship. They may practice in private, but they don't worship in private. They have very little prayer life to speak of, and when they do, it's usually to request selfish needs or wants from God, you know, help me win the lottery. And they will be used of an unholy spirit very often. And I will tell you this, that if an anger rises up within you when the worship doesn't go the way you want it, you have the spirit of music. But if a brokenness overwhelms you when the worship does not go the way that you know God wants it, then the spirit of worship has you. It physically, when I know that, that the worship has drifted from the direction that the Holy Spirit wanted it to go, I feel, I feel the crushing. I feel a physical pain in my chest and in my heart. I feel, I've seen, I've seen Jesus walk out of services, but I feel such a brokenness because I know what could have happened that didn't happen. It's, it's, it's not even a holy indignation. I, it makes me want to cry. I've literally choked back tears in the middle of worship services because I knew that it had been, the glory had been taken from the Holy Spirit and he walked out. But I've seen situations where people got angry because the worship didn't go the way they wanted. That's a spirit of music. When it's a spirit of worship, it breaks your heart because you know the weight of what has been lost. There is a difference between the spirit of worship and the spirit of music. And we have to always examine our heart to make sure we understand what is controlling us. There are a couple of different types of worship ministry, and we're, we're at the end now. Plain worship, straight worship is, you know, we sing songs to the Lord, we thank Him, and the Lord is drawn to that worship. It's a good song, it's about the Lord, we are sanctified, we're in good standing, and we sing that song, that's worship. Then we have what we call free worship, that's when we're singing that song, but we, we express our love, because worship is love expressed. If it's not love towards God, it's not worship towards God. And if you're not expressing it, it's not worship. You have to express love to express worship. So when you add a little bit of your own personal expression to that, now not saying taking it in the flesh, but we know what free worship is. We are freely worshiping the God. We're getting off the script. Then we have what we call spontaneous worship. And that's when you let the Spirit go and use you, and, and it's a whole nother song coming out. You might be in the same chords, but He's singing those different words. It's, it's broken out into a whole, the Holy Spirit has given you a song. 
And then we have what we call prophetic worship. And that's when we let the Holy Spirit sing through us. And you'll get that, thus saith the Lord. And he starts to bring forth that word in worship that's ministering to the people. And then we have the worship minister. The worship minister gives all control to the Holy Spirit to deliver a message through the entirety of the worship set. From the songs that were chosen to the words that come forth to the prophetic word that comes out, to the preach that comes out, to the worship that's lifted up and the way the Holy Spirit ministers back. And by the end of it, you realize that God has brought together an entire message or sermon within the worship set. And you're like, wow, I didn't even see how all that was going to piece together, but he did it. That's a ministry. That's a worship minister. So our goal is to be worshipers, but we want to climb the ranks over time to develop into deeper and deeper levels of worship. Though I warn you, it will probably take some seasons of crushing to truly get that anointing flowing. The Israelites could not use their skills that they learned in Egypt to build the temple, or they would have built pyramids in the wilderness. This is important to know. We cannot use the things of the world to build the worship of God. We cannot use, we cannot use the techniques, we cannot use the spirit of the world to build true worship, or all you're doing is building pyramids in the wilderness. God gave specific instructions to Moses, and he had to follow those instructions to the letter. And yes, Moses went through his period of crushing also before, because he had to lose that self. But because he built what God told him to build, that was nothing like anything they had seen in Egypt. God was able to come and inhabit it. We want God to inhabit our services We have to do exactly what he says. We cannot use our own tools and we cannot use the plans of Egypt. If the Israelites had used the skills they learned in Egypt, they would have built pyramids in the wilderness. They had to do something different. They had to follow God's leading exactly to build something he would inhabit. If they had taken their own initiative at any part, his presence would not have inhabited it. So it's getting a little late, so we're going to go ahead and end here, but I will give you some homework because I had two more passages that I was going to read, but you can write them down and read them at home because you'll be able to get it just by reading the passages. Psalms 22, the whole chapter, it's a very short chapter. It's, It's one of those little songs of David. It shows you the right way to worship. It flows out of the pressing. If you read all of the chapter of Psalms 22, you will see a man who is pressed. Now, it's a prophetic worship song because it applies to Jesus also, because Jesus was also crushed and pressed. But it's how the anointing flowed out of this worship song that was based in a moment of crushing. And when you read through that, you see a perfect example of it. Um, Psalms 51.15 says, O Lord... Open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, or else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings, but the sacrifices of God. Remember, we are called to live a sacrificial life. But the sacrifices of God or a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou will not despise. He will hearken to the voice or the life that has endured crushing. And then for the other passage, you can look up Amos chapter 5 and read that. And that is an example of self-centered worship, which is demonic worship. And it literally says, God hates it. 
When you go through this, you will see an example of those who did it wrong and God's heart on it. And when he's literally telling them, I hate your feast. I hate your worship. I hate every, God himself is literally saying, I hate everything that you are doing because it's about you, because there's wickedness in it, because there's sin in it, because it's not what I said to do. So Psalms 22 is an example of true worship that comes out of humble crushing. And Amos 5 is an example of demonic worship that comes out of pride. So we are the heart of worship and we're going to go ahead and close with the prayer. You know, and the song says, I love the song when, when this song first came out. We loved it. Daddy loved it. And it was really part of the, the reasoning of the naming of the church because the song says, I'm coming back to a heart of worship. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing that I've made it when it was all about you. It's all about you. Worship is all about him. And so I give this as straightforward as I can so that we can get as pure and as perfect a worship as we can because it will usher in the presence of God if it's done right. Thank you for listening to Heart of Worship Church podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.